We have this morning um, in the first service and, and in the subsequent services as part of our prayer times, um, and I'm, I'm thinking about this as, as Ryan singing, you know, I am a child of God, uh, remembering in prayer what's going on right now halfway around the world, which is the rescue efforts of those, those 12 kids. That four, I've heard four and six. I've heard between four and six that are out now. Um, and that, that they're rescuing. So we want to continue to pray for them and for um, those men and women that are putting their lives on the line to get those kids out. So we want to, uh, I just, as, as I was up this morning and doing my preparation and, and um, kind of process of, of getting ready for worship, that was the, the headline news. So we want to, uh, want to lift that up. So between four and six, somewhere in there that have been out, we pray for the rest. So just want to, uh, to share that with you while it was on my heart. Nicknames. Start with a thought of, of nicknames this morning. Nicknames, uh, very often, I tend to think of them in a, in a very personal way, in a, an individual way. You may have nicknames. I, I've had nicknames, and nicknames that, that often have some sort of a, a significance, that tell somewhat of a story or have a connection to our stories. Um, and they may vary, and we're not going to get into personal names. Mine, mine growing up when I was little was Roni. That's what Dad called me was Roni, R-O-N-I. Because when I first was learning how to talk, I couldn't say Christopher. So I'd say Christeroni. <laughs> I don't know why, but that's what came out of my mouth. So the nickname became Roni. There, we have stories like that, nicknames. You probably have some of those. So, so personal nicknames. But the, the thing is, places have names too. Monikers are nicknames. Uh, geographic locations, cities, for instance. Uh, the most famous that I can think of, the Big Apple, which is New York. Right, the Big Apple is New York. A lot of cities have names. See how well you, you do. I'll start with the easy ones. Uh, Mile High City. Okay, Denver. Uh, Beantown. Um, the Windy City. Or the Second City also is, is also one of the nicknames for, for Chicago. Um, Sin City. Yeah, Vegas. Most people know that one, sadly. Um, <laughs> City of Brotherly Love. Um, the, uh, the Big Easy. Motor City. Detroit. Okay, those are the easy ones. All right, let's move, let's move to another. See how well you know. I know one person better know this one this morning. Um, Emerald City. Now you're who I'm thinking of, Seattle. Exactly. Just got back from Seattle. That's why I was going to put you on the spot. Seattle's known as the Emerald. How about the City of Roses? I've heard, I, I, Pasadena is what people think. I heard some people, because of the parade of roses, but it's actually not. It's Portland, Oregon. Somebody may have said that. I don't know why, but that's, that's Portland, Oregon. Um, the sweetest place on earth. Hershey, Pennsylvania, that's right. Uh, this was my favorite. I never. The city of cheese, chairs, children, and churches. Some of you. It, yeah, everybody gets Wisconsin, but where in Wisconsin? Anybody know? Nope, not Madison. Nope. Sheboygan. Did I say that right? Is that how you say that, you Green Bay? With Sheboygan? I don't know. They couldn't decide, so they put all of those in there together. Um, just a couple more. Uh, outside the U.S., but how about the Eternal City? 
Rome, that's right. And then, and then lastly, the mousetrap. <laughs> Orlando. We made that one up. So um, <laughs> to, Tony, Tony made that one up, actually. I said the money trap, and she said last night, she said, no, you should call it the mousetrap. And so I said, all right, I'll give you credit. So that, but that's not a real one. Places that become known, and there's, there's more. In fact, it's been funny. Um, somebody came up to him, told me someplace, I can't remember now, Susan told me, the place, uh, home of the roadkill burger um, was one that somebody told me about. Or, uh, you know, there's all kinds of names that get a, attached to places. And a lot of times because it speaks to some part of the story or some part of the, the character of that place, the, the Windy City or the Mile High City, or because it speaks to some, some characteristic there. Uh, we're going to turn to our scripture this morning. We're going to talk about um, a, a, the central city in the biblical narratives that, that has a, a number of nicknames or a number of monikers that speak to part of the story and the significance. If you don't know where I'm going, it's, it's Jerusalem. We're going to talk about Jerusalem a little bit this morning. But before we do that, I'm going to turn to our scripture, which is Psalm 48. Uh, Dave, I'm going to throw you for a loop. I'm going to read verse 1 and 2, and I'm going to skip ahead to verse 9. So just because that's not programmed that way, so I don't want to throw you off. But, but this is a psalm of praise. It's a psalm of worship. And we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about the heartbeat of this worship and this this foundation of praise. This is, what, this is what we read. This is what is sung. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise in the city of our God, His holy mountain. Beautiful in its loftiness, the joy of the whole earth like the heights of Zaphon is Mount Zion, the city of the great King. Now I'm going to jump to verse 9. Within your temple, O God, we meditate on your unfailing love. Like your name, O God, your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Mount Zion rejoices. The villages of Judah are glad because of your judgments. Walk about Zion. Go around her. Count her towers. Consider well her ramparts. View her citadels that you may tell of them to the next generation. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to the end. And we pray, brothers and sisters, God's blessing here on the reading of his word. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, that we would experience the power of praise, the power of worship, the power of celebrating your holy presence and what that means for us in these moments that we share, in this hour that we worship, and in the days that will follow. Be real to us. Draw us deep in faith and deep in our connection to one another as we serve our risen Lord. For it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, I started with cities, New York, Chicago, Denver, Philadelphia, Boston, um, for, for the reason, because I wanted us to start to think about um, one of the, the names that is attributed to Jerusalem. But before we get there, let's talk about Jerusalem for a moment. Um, some of you are familiar with the city, some of you maybe not so much. But it is this, the, the central um, city, if you will, in, in the biblical narratives. In the, in the scriptures alone, it is referenced over 800 times. And it's, it's known by a bunch of different names. And we, and we, in fact, probably 18 different names, I think, was the last I, I read scripturally, which we're not going to talk about all of those. 
But, but to start to understand that a little bit, you have to understand the significance of Jerusalem. And one of those significant points of Jerusalem is that it was a very and is a very strategic city. It's very strategic. It's, it's, it's a prized location, if you will, and has been through a number of, of um, civilizations, not just in the story of, of, of Israel. In fact, it is first mentioned as early in the Bible as Genesis 14. It's referenced as Salem in Genesis 14, and it's under the rule of Melchizedek. But it's, it's been prized, and even societies older than that valued Jerusalem. And here's why. Two primary reasons. One, Jerusalem had its own supply of water. It had a natural spring that fed the city. If you know the Middle East, you know that cities that had their own source of water were prized locations. They were incredibly valuable and sustaining, which is why Jericho is one of the oldest cities in the world, because it has its own spring. Jerusalem has its own spring, Spring of Gihon, that feeds and, and, and the city. And, and there's some interesting and fascinating history around the spring, which we'll save for another time. But it had its, its a source of water, really, really important in a desert climate, which those of you who have been to Israel know much of Israel is. I've joked with you before, I've shared with you that when I went years ago, our comment was constantly, if you look out the window to your right, you will see rocks and dirt. If you look out your window to the left, you will see rocks and dirt. You know, that was much of the geography there. So, so that was one of the reasons. But the second reason is that it um, was an elevated city, 2,900 feet above sea level. It's on a hill, and it is surrounded on three sides by mountains, which are very strategic, which are protective. So the city was, and to the south, the one direction that isn't surrounded by a mountain or, or doesn't have a mountain, about 60 miles south, it's desert. So, so it, it was um, well, a, a city that was easy to, to well fortify. So for these reasons, it was very, very important to the people and, and to a number of civilizations, even before the, the, the Jewish people. And so that's why we read in 1 Samuel 5 that when David became king, one of the very first things he did in um, 1004 B.C. was he captured Jerusalem. He captured Jerusalem. He made it, he would make it his capital city. And in doing so, it led to some of the names that the city of Jerusalem is known by. It is known as the city of David, part of the city, the city of David. It is known as, sometimes referenced as the citadel. David built a citadel, the fortifications that were built there. And then in a number of various forms, it is called the city of great kings, or the city of kings. All speak to this um, prized and valuable location. All speak to part of the, the history and the centrality of, of Jerusalem. In many ways, it becomes a monument to their story. This city that is, becomes built and defended and fortified and prosperous becomes really part of the the ability for them to remember or the, the means by which they remembered where they'd come from. It was an opportunity for them to, to share, um, share the, the experiences of the generations that had come before them. I was thinking about it in reference for us. I mean, if, if, if you were taking a, a child or a young person or, or an older person, maybe somebody new to the country, and you wanted them to learn the history and the story and, and to, 
to learn some of the experiences of the generations before us. There's a lot of places you could go, but what's the first location you think of? Where would you take them to learn the story of America? Philadelphia's a good one. Philadelphia's a good one because of, because of its centrality. But, but I was thinking Washington. I was thinking Washington. Not, not all of those places. I know it's kind of a tricky question because all of those places are part of the story. Boston and Philadelphia. But, but Washington because of the museums, because of the monuments, really, to the story and to our past. So Jerusalem has that aspect of it. But then in addition to that strategic location, that, that primary location of sense of, of um, that becomes a sense of pride for the people, uh, there's another thing that happens. And it doesn't happen during the reign of King David, who conquers the city. It happens during the reign of his son Solomon, which, which was the building of the temple. Remember, if, if you know the story, David wanted to build the temple, um, and God said, no, that's not for you. It's not for you. It'll be, it'll be for your son. And so Jerusalem, then with the building of the temple, adds a second component. It is not only a, a, a center point of national pride and strategic value. It becomes the religious and spiritual center of the Jewish faith. And it's an interesting now for those of you that have been know that Jerusalem is a central city now for three faiths, for Christianity, for Islam, and for, for the Jewish faith. But it takes on that centrality during the reign of Solomon when the temple is built. And there within the temple of the Holy of Holies becomes the place that the people understood most powerfully God was present, that God resided there. And it becomes a central place for the festivals and the feasts, the religious observances of the people. In, in Deuteronomy chapter 16, it says to the people that you shall go to celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the, the Festival of Weeks, the Festival of Booths, which are harvest festivals. Unleavened Bread is around the Passover. It says you will go to the place that God will appoint and that you are supposed to go to the holy place, wherever that will be, to celebrate these holy days. Well, that becomes Jerusalem. And certainly it wasn't practical for all the people of the Jewish faith to travel to Jerusalem three times a year. But it became part of the practice. And I'm saying that at least once in your lifetime, if not once a year, if possible, you travel to Jerusalem to observe some of the holy days. And in fact, if you think about the life of Jesus, remember that story, the only story we have of his childhood after his birth was when he was 12 years old and he got lost. And remember, why did he get lost? Because the family went to Jerusalem and Jesus stuck around when they left for three days, which is a sermon unto itself. But, um, but it's this, it's the centrality of that. And so Jerusalem becomes of, of utmost importance and pride and spiritual location, and it becomes a place of joy and celebration and worship. And so the psalmist, we get to Psalm 48, he's looking at Jerusalem and he's celebrating Jerusalem and he's celebrating God's presence in this city. And that brings us to that name, the nickname that we find, or the moniker that we find in the very first verse that becomes the other way the city of Jerusalem is often referred to. And it says this, going back to verse 1, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise in the city of our God, his holy mountain. Jerusalem becomes known as the city of God. Because the people believe that God was present there in a unique and powerful way. Now, I'm not implying that the Jewish people believe God was confined to Jerusalem. 
and that God was limited there. But that was where you most powerfully experienced his presence. And so the psalm becomes a hymn of praise to God and to the truth of who God is and the way that they would experience his presence, the gift of God's presence in their lives. When they would go to these times of worship, they would come to the, to the temple to, to worship. What is it that they celebrated and what is it that they lifted up and what is it that they were thankful about who God was and the promise that he had given them? Because the promises they knew are the promises we still receive. And there are two promises I want to focus on this morning. They're found in verse 9 and 14. And the first is verse 9. And this is what we read. We says, Within your temple, O God, we meditate on your unfailing love. What's the first promise of God that we experience through faith that the people celebrated is this, that the love of God is unfailing. The love of God is unfailing. And that is really important because they're not... Any other place in this lifetime, you are going to experience unfailing love. You think about it, so often um, in weddings, most, most often is where um, I will be asked to read or somebody will read 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. And, and those of you that know it, knows it is a, it is a, um, a description of the, of the best of, of what love looks like. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It does not keep a record of right and wrong. It, it's, um, it, it, it's, uh, love never ends. It prevails. It sustains. It, it holds on. These, these are the character of love. And, and we read them at weddings because it is for us what we should aspire to be. It is, it is a celebration of the very best of what love looks like. Here's the problem. We don't live up to it. We um, love is, is not boastful or proud. Anybody ever been boastful or prideful? Love keeps no records of right or wrongs. How many of you keep records of right or wrongs? Don't raise your hand. Love never fails. How many can say... You've never failed in the way that you've loved the most important people in your life. I'm, I'm not beating you up over that, but, but we aspire to it, but we haven't achieved it yet. And the people you love fall short of that. People in your life who, who have promised to love you who haven't. People who could have loved you who didn't. People who should have loved you but wouldn't. These are universal experiences at various degrees and, and they're painful and they hurt. And that is, that is not to, to scare people away from human relationships and, and the friendships and, and relationship God's calls us to. They're a gift, but we fall short. The people celebrate the relationship that doesn't fall short. That's what we're called to through faith. God invites us into an experience of love that does not fail. And the people knew that. God's love would not fail them, even though over and over they would fail God. And that's the celebration, that God would not stop pursuing. God wouldn't stop reaching out. God wouldn't give up on them. God would not give up on them. And so it becomes the recognition of the unfailing love of God. So that is what they celebrate. Then you turn to verse 14. And keep in mind, peppered in all of this, throughout the entire psalm and the verses I didn't read are praise and thanksgiving and lifting hearts and gratitude and worship to God. Again, why? Because of God's unfailing love. And then here is the other. Verse 14. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to the end. So on one end, we 
We celebrate the love of God that is unfailing, and then here we celebrate the presence of God that is unending. God who will be forever and ever and will be with us to the end. It is the promise that God's guidance, the promise of God's presence, the promise that the story that they remembered when they looked at the city of Jerusalem and the walls and the citadels and, and how it had been fortified and they remembered their story. It was a story of remembering God's hand and guidance in every part of their journey. From the time Abram was called to be Abraham and to follow God and to go where God would lead, not knowing where he would go. Genesis 12, follow, go, pack up and move, trust in me to be your guide. And the story of his children and grandchildren and the generations that would follow, our story is a story of a people who recognize God's hand upon their lives. And even when they became slaves in Egypt and they were delivered out of their bondage and they wandered the wilderness for 40 years, and all of that is a story of God's guidance. And when they looked at where they were, they recognized it was God who had got them to that point, and God's guidance and his presence wouldn't end there. And that is also our truth. It's the promise that we celebrate, that God's hand is upon our lives, that, that in faith God is our guide. Now, I'm not saying that's an easy thing to discern all the time. I'm not saying that it's, it's obvious. It's not, I, I wish, like the people in the, in the wilderness, that God would lead us sometimes by a pillar of fire at night and a, and a, a cloud of, of smoke during the day. I wish it was that clear. But our inability to hear God does not negate God's voice in our life. It just means we have to work on sharpening those spiritual disciplines, learning to listen better and more faithfully, and looking back and recognizing sometimes God's hand upon our lives, even in places and times we didn't see it. Because why? God's love, God's, his presence, his guidance is unending. So, so here's the point. They would come to the city of God. The people came to the city of God, and this is what they celebrated. They went to the temple. The high priest once a year entered the Holy of Holies. We celebrate God's unfailing love. We celebrate God's unending presence. That becomes what we locate in this geographic location. That is what we locate in this place as the, the center of our faith and celebration. This is where we experience in these promises of God. Here in the temple in Jerusalem, in the city of God, in the Holy of Holies, in this designated place. And here's the problem. When we locate God by place, what happens when that place doesn't exist anymore? When we locate God by place, what happens when that place doesn't exist anymore? Because the center of religious life for the Jewish people was the temple of Jerusalem. It's where their identity became connected. And here's the problem. 586 B.C., Babylonians destroy the temple. People are dispersed, carried off into captivity. Their identity is momentarily lost. Now in five. Um, 538 B.C., they start to rebuild that temple when they, are, when they are allowed to return under the Persian Empire. And for 23 years, they rebuild the temple. And 23 years later, so I guess 525? No, that's not good math. 515? Yeah, something in there. They, um, they dedicate the temple under the, the rule of Zerubbabel. And the temple's rededicated. And, and I share that with you only because I really love the name Zerubbabel and I wanted to say it. Um, but then again in 70 AD, the Romans lay siege to Jerusalem and the temple is destroyed and the people are dispersed again. 
and their identity and that, that location is no longer identified by place. But here's the joy, here's the promise, here's the, the wonder of it, is what, we, what they once understood to be a place is what Jesus reminds us experience, not in a place, but in a person. That Jesus reminds us that we experience the city of God not by where we go, but who we allow in. And the city of God for us becomes the metaphor for God's presence in our lives. That God isn't located geographically. That God is the God who we worship spiritually. And that is not confined. And so we can experience the joy of faith and the promise of faith. The promise of knowing God's unending love. Of experiencing and knowing God's unfailing love and unending presence. Wherever we happen to be. It's not defined by any four walls, but rather by our willingness to allow the Holy Spirit into our lives. Jesus has an encounter with a woman at a well in John chapter 4. Many of you know that story. And he asks her for water, and then he offers her uh, living water. And in that conversation, he says something very interesting. He talks about the God who is spirit and truth who wants us to worship in spirit. He said, the time is coming when you will worship in spirit and truth. And he says something. He says, the time is coming when you will not worship God on this mountain, which is where the Samaritans believed the presence of God was centrally located, or where it will not be worshipped in the city, Jerusalem, where the Jews believe God is centrally located. But God is spirit, and he desires those who will worship in spirit and truth. It's this idea that God's presence, that city of God is experienced not by where we are, but whose we are and who we're in a relationship with. That's why Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 6 that you are, your body is the temple of God because when we come to faith, when we open our hearts to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to be at work within us and the truths of faith that were celebrated in a place we recognize through the presence of a person, and that person is Jesus, who gives us that promise and gives us an example of what unfailing love looks like. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. There can be no greater statement than that grace that he extends to them, that God extends through Christ to us. And God's and Christ's unending presence I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is the heart of our faith. This is the promise of our faith. This is what Jesus longs for us to know and to celebrate, not based on where we are, but whose we are. And that's children of God. Like we sang this morning, children of God. Celebrate that, brothers and sisters. You and I become the city of God. It's not located Latitude and longitude. It's located here when we invite the Spirit of Christ to come and take root within us. Know the promise of faith, the unfailing love of God, the unending presence of God. That is the gift for which we give God praise and thanks. Amen? Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we do. Again, we thank you. It is a tremendous gift that we're offered. In our journeys of life and the struggles that we will face and the ups and downs and, and just the uncertainty that you are present with us and that your love never lets go of us. We give you thanks for that. We give you praise for that. And I pray for all of us we would know that promise. 
now and always through the presence of Christ Jesus our Lord. For it is in his name we pray. Amen.